Hello, everyone. I'm extremely excited to bring on two fantastic guests today to talk about the labor force and specifically about logistics and operations. Our guests are Gad Levinon. He's the chief economist of the Burning Glass Institute and Elliot Katz, the co-founder and chief business officer at Phantom Auto. We're going to have a wonderful conversation getting into the weeds of some of the newest research that's coming out and how companies and workers might find a better future. Let's jump into it. Gad, how are you doing today? I'm doing great and very happy to be here. Well, thank you so much for joining us. We've been enjoying seeing what you're putting out and what the Burning Glass Institute is sharing in terms of your research. It's fantastic stuff. I can't wait to dive into the numbers. Elliot, how are you doing? Doing great. Thanks for uh, having us, Terry. Appreciate it. Wonderful. Well, we have an action-packed conversation. We're going to cover a lot. So let's go ahead and just dive right into it. Gad, can you start us off to tell us a bit about your background in the research you're doing around labor economics at the Burning Glass Institute? Sure. Um, so I'm, a, I'm an economist uh, by training. Uh, I worked at a place called the, the Conference Board uh, for 18 years. And a little less than two years ago, I joined the Burning Glass Institute, uh, which is a think tank um, in the areas of labor markets and education and everything in between. Um, and um, we do uh, a lot of work. We have uh, some uh, unique uh, data sets like uh, uh, all online job ads in the United States. We have... Um, social profiles like uh, you can find on LinkedIn for most, I would say, white color people in the United States. And um, and we do a lot of uh, work on that. Uh, the labor market is a fascinating uh, area that is uh, changing uh, a lot. And uh, we are here to learn about it and uh, talk about it. I am so excited. You on the cutting edge have been putting out some really interesting statistics and keeping all of us updated. So I cannot wait to hear your insights. Elliot, could you tell us a little bit about what you're doing at Phantom Auto right now? Yeah, so I'm one of the co-founders at Phantom Auto. We're a Silicon Valley tech company that provides some of the largest companies in the logistics sector with remotely operated vehicles, including forklifts, yard trucks, and robots. And our vehicles are remotely driven by way of our proprietary remote operation software. And we provide our customers not only our remotely operated vehicles, but also access to our highly trained remote operators who remotely operate our customers' fleets from thousands of miles away. That's extremely exciting technology. What you're doing is really kind of bringing a lot of new opportunities. I know we're going to get into that today. So to start this conversation, I want us to look at the state of the labor market in the U.S. today. Gad, at the Burning Glass Institute, you talk about labor tightness. Can you explain what this is to us? So labor tightness, I think, uh, the, I would say the core definition is how easy it is to uh, hire qualified workers. When it's uh, difficult, uh, we say that the labor market is tight, and when it's easy, it's loose. Um, there are other things related to that. Usually when the labor market is tight, you also see 
more people quitting their jobs to go to other opportunities. You see faster wage growth, but that's sort of the definition of a tight labor market. Now, um, we discovered that uh, the unemployment rate, which is kind of the most common measure of uh, labor market tightness, is often inaccurate. So uh, we built um, uh, what we call the um, labor tightness index, which aggregates what we think are the best um, indicators of labor market tightness. Um, and uh, as an aggregate, you know, each indicator by itself could be wrong at some times, uh, but uh, when you aggregate them together, they tend to be a better measure of the true uh, labor market tightness. And what it's showing is that um, I would say about a year ago, we probably had the tightest labor market um, uh, in recorded history. Uh, it was really uh, unusual. Um, and since then, there's been a bit of a loosening, but still a very historically uh, high um, uh, level of tightness. Um, and uh, that's what we, we've experienced. Uh, also, very unusually high quit rates, wage growth went through the roof. Those things are coming down uh, now a little. But the, the question, I think, is, you know, moving forward, is the labor market still going to be tight uh, um, or is it going to be more normal? So, Gad, you mentioned recently that the labor market is tighter than any period in the last half century before the pandemic. Could you tell us a little bit about what you're seeing there? Yeah, it's um, in, in many dimensions, uh, we've seen uh, more tightness than uh, at least in the last uh, 50 years. Uh, so um, it was extremely measures of recruiting difficulties were extremely high. Um, quit rates went through the roof, like there was a period of uh, the great resignation. Um, and, uh, you know, when it's hard to recruit and when people are quitting their jobs, the, the outcome is uh, that companies are raising uh, wages. And we've seen uh, a very rapid uh, wage growth um, in, during that uh, period. Now, it's coming uh, down a little but uh, in the last several months, but uh, uh, the labor market is still unusually tight. Elliot, I'm really curious, as we're speaking about this topic, I'd want to get your input from a logistics industry expert like yourself. What impacts have you seen or possibly heard from your customers about the labor shortage and its impact on the logistics sector? The number one problem facing companies in the logistics sector today is, is hiring and then retaining talent. It's been a problem for a long time, but the problem has become even more acute in the last few years. Uh, I'll give you one example. We, we recently met with a big pharmaceutical chain at one of their you know, 1 million square foot warehouses, so very, very large. And they said that their norm, not the exception to the rule, but their norm is that they will hire 10 forklift drivers Five will show up for work on the first day and two will still be with the company within a week of their start date. And so that that's just one example, right? It's a pretty jarring example when you first hear it. But honestly, we hear about similar variations of that scenario 
every day from our prospects in in customers. Um, you know, in short, our customers in in prospects have trouble finding labor to begin with, right? And then once hired, because this job takes when you're talking about you know inside a warehouse, it takes place in a potentially dangerous and oftentimes uncomfortable environment. They can't retain that labor that they worked tirelessly to find on the front end. So it's really a two-pronged problem, and I hear about it all day, every day from our our customers, um, at least anecdotally. And, you know, GAD is doing the research that, that obviously backs it up. That's really interesting. And I want to circle us back to retention because I feel like right now and those statistics that you threw out, Elliot, those are shocking. And when you think about them, the challenges that that must present both on a continual recruitment side, as well as, you know, how do you plan for two out of five of your new hires to be there in that short of a term that you're looking at? You know, how can you make strategic decisions that are going to impact, you know, both your top line and bottom line uh, for major companies, as well as making sure that consumers are getting the goods that they're needing and that they're ordering on time and um, with a standard kind of process? You really can't is probably the answer we're going to get to. So let's um, let's put that on our docket to come back to that retention question. And now I do want to go to a question that we actually had from the community here. And this one is about kind of the state of labor in logistics and really diving into kind of some of the specifics and some of the history here. So the question is, 20 to 30 years ago, the average blue collar worker in the logistics sector had limited employment options outside of a warehouse or a distribution center. Today, there are more options than ever, such as delivering uh, DoorDash or working for Uber or working in other flexible gig economy jobs. With that said, how do you think that this has changed the work landscape by vastly increasing opportunities and how has it impacted the ability to hire blue collar workers today? So Gad, I know that's a two pronged question here, but I'd love to get your response. Yeah, I I think there's been a a huge increase in in some industries that are hiring logistic uh, workers. Uh, Probably the first uh, important trend is the shift to online shopping and to home deliveries. That's a, that's been huge even before the pandemic and uh, there was a big uh, trend towards it uh, during the pandemic even the the least tech savvy uh, people in the world uh, had to learn how to shop online and that uh, increased it even even more and you know uh, deliveries to uh, to a home are, are much more time intensive than delivering to large uh, locations uh, so that significantly increased the number of uh, warehouse workers, the demand for where, warehouse workers, the demand for uh, kind of delivery uh, people. Um, at the same time, um, one thing that uh, kind of helped the, the supply of uh, or, or reduced the demand for blue-collar workers was before 2010, we had... Uh, a big uh, drop in the demand for manufacturing workers. But since then, uh, I would say in the last 10, 12 years, 
uh, manufacturing is making a comeback. So some of those people who could work in logistics are uh, being in demand in, in manufacturing. Many times it's, it's the same type of workers. So that also uh, increases the demand uh, and creates more labor shortages in, in this uh, sector. That's a really interesting point and something that I wasn't even thinking about where we see these really positive headlines, things that U.S.-based companies love to promote where they're increasing their manufacturing in the United States and in North America. That's really exciting, but that's another pull that we're seeing like Uber and like DoorDash that pulls away from some of the traditional labor that would be in the logistics industry. And Elliot, I want to bring you in here um, from your conversations and talking to customers in the industry. You know, why are they losing employees? Are they going to these type of businesses? Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, you know, your your question really nailed it, Terry. I mean, working in a warehouse or a distribution center, it's, it's dangerous work, right? When we're talking about forklifts, one in 10 forklifts gets in an accident uh, every year. You know, that can cause serious injury or unfortunately even death, um, you know, it's also, it can be quite uncomfortable uh, environment to work in, right? It can get extremely hot. I've now spent uh, some time in, in, you know, warehouses in let's say Texas in July and not even moving at all. Just, you know, listening to a presentation, I had to be just chugging water, right? Um, it's so hot in these environments, or it can also be extremely cold, right? If you're dealing with uh, cold storage, you could be at working every day in temperatures that are, you know, below zero, right? So, and I would say until our technology came onto the scene, um, just in the last couple of years, there was no ability for these folks to work remotely. And to your point, to the question's point, now there's there's more flexible alternatives, right? People who 10 years ago may have only had the option to work in a warehouse, uh, to your point, they can now drive Uber, right? They can do uh, DoorDash or, or any number of other gig economy jobs where they believe they can make the same salary or, or higher, but also have the freedom to be you know, their own boss with the flexible work schedule. And so I think when people today are, are looking at these options that are available to them, uh, oftentimes they're, they're going that more gig economy route. The new introduction, Elliot, that I'm hearing is safety and comfort in the workplace. Um, so is that something you talked about hot conditions? I'm recording from here in Dallas, Texas, very familiar with that. And then obviously working with different uh, supply chains that require different things. Could you tell us a little bit about how employers are focusing on worker safety and comfort and how that's playing into the employee retention piece that you were talking about earlier? When it comes to retention, it's it's pretty simple, I think, to understand, right? If your options are you can work in a potentially dangerous warehouse environment, or you can work from, you know, essentially an office building or uh, your home where there's basically no risk uh, of bodily harm, I think most people would choose uh, the latter pretty much 100% of the time, right? So again, it goes back to the two-pronged problem, 
it's not just a problem of hiring, although that's a huge problem, right? I think there's about 800,000, 750,000 of these jobs in the US alone that are unfilled in the logistics sector. But there's also a big problem here with retention. And that's one of the things that really our customers are driving towards with uh, our technology is, hey, if we can have drivers sit in environments that are much more uh, compatible with them wanting to do this job, enjoying to do this, enjoying this job, working with advanced technology, that's going to help us in terms of retention, in terms of actually keeping these people employed and in our ranks for a much longer period of time than the status quo today. And you've shared some fascinating numbers, and I'll share them here for our, for our viewers. Um, we see research that shows that it costs companies $8,000 and typically takes 45 days to hire a new forklift driver. With a 46% average annual churn rate in warehousing, logistics companies have to expend a great deal of time and resources on attracting and training talent. And really to your point and from your conversations with business leaders in the logistics industries, you know, what is the impact that this is having on their core goals and basically their core functionings when you're dealing with these type of retention challenges? Yeah, I mean, it's a very good question. Again, the biggest cost in the logistics sector is people, right? Money spent finding people, paying people, trying to retain people, etc. So when people stop showing up, which happens often, uh, or when people leave in droves and you have to rehire and retrain new employees, it's a major problem, both economically in terms of how expensive it is to churn employees, but also in terms of our customers' ability just to keep up with demand at their sites. So it's a massive problem in the space. And, and with our solution, we're not only removing the geographic restriction to hiring and enabling a virtually unlimited talent pool, we're also removing the drivers, as I said before, into environments that are much safer and more comfortable than warehouses in, in distribution centers. So all of it goes into that. Wonderful. It's really exciting to hear how this is kind of coming together to make a better experience for the labor force, to make it a more competitive job environment compared to some of the gig economy positions that we've been hearing about. Now, we've been taking a high level look at the labor market, and we've talked a little bit about the supply chains in the logistics space. This is a wonderful time for a short break. We're here talking with Gad, the chief economist at Burning Glass Institute, and Elliot Katz, the co-founder and chief business officer at Phantom Auto. Welcome back. We've been talking about the state of the labor market, and we're ready to dive into the macroeconomic impact on the supply chain. So Gad, I'll have you kick us off here. Gad, two months ago, you posted on LinkedIn saying, the demand for blue collar workers is growing, but the number of people wanting to work in these jobs is shrinking, hence the blue collar labor shortage. So I wanted to ask, how do you believe that this will really affect society? 
That's a great question. I, I think it's already uh, impacting society. Uh, as we discussed earlier, the number, the demand for uh, blue-collar workers is uh, continuing to grow. But the number of people who are interested in those jobs um, is uh, declining. Uh, part of it is because of the um, retirement of the baby boomers that slow down uh, working age population growth in general. But within that, there is an education story. In, in recent decades, more and more people uh, are getting a bachelor's degree. So the people who are entering the labor force now are much more educated than the people who are um, retiring. So the overall number of people who are willing to work in those uh, blue collar jobs, because as we all know, people who get a, a bachelor degree typically don't aim for those blue collar jobs. So the overall number of those uh, people who are interested in blue collar jobs is shrinking. And we know what the answer would be if these were white collar jobs where you have less opportunity to bring in you know, people to fill the still rising need for that work. It would be to use generative AI. That's what we're seeing in the white collar labor market. But in terms of blue collar, that's not such an option that can't fill the gap that you're talking about. Do you have any thoughts here on what we could do to maybe find solutions for kind of that lessened demand for these jobs? Yeah, I, I think uh, kind of the, the gap between the shortage in blue collar jobs and white collar jobs uh, will uh, become uh, larger. We've seen uh, in, in recent uh, years, uh, a very unique uh, phenomena, which people in blue-collar jobs uh, had a much faster wage growth than people in white-collar jobs. And I think the impact of generative AI would even uh, sharpen this trend uh, because generative AI uh, will mostly have an impact on office and highly educated uh, workers. That's such a good point. And as they're able to do more using the platform, their wages are going to continue to spike. And so there has to be some other solutions that can help make the physical labor and the physical work more attractive to bring the labor force back. Do you see a shift now away from going to those four-year universities that, you know, for quite a while were gaining so much popularity? Um, and going back to the more physical labor jobs. So we are uh, seeing, and that's a, a relatively new uh, trend, uh, we're seeing uh, kind of among the uh, recent cohorts, we're seeing a lower um, college enrollment. Uh, so a, a smaller share of the 18 and 19 and 20 year olds are enrolled in, in a four year college. Uh, so that, and, and you see, it's a, reasonable reaction to labor markets conditions. If now you can uh, make more uh, in a blue collar job than some many white collar jobs, uh, then uh, fewer people will go to college. But still, this change is, is relatively uh, small. And um, I don't think it will uh, change the overarching trend of uh, growing uh, shortage in, in blue collar jobs. And to that point, what we're seeing now is over 800,000 unfilled jobs in the logistics sector alone. 
So Elliot, I want to tag you in here to speak to this number in the industry. How can technology, you know, fill that gap when we don't have people to call on right now? I would argue that it's not that we don't have people to call on. It's that the people that, you know, want and need to do this work may not be located, you know, within commuting, commuting distance of the warehouse or distribution center. So the way that we're doing that with our technology is we're decoupling labor from location with our technology, right? Um, we're removing that geographic restriction to hiring. It's no longer the case that companies can only hire uh, drivers within commuting distance from their facilities. They can hire uh, from anywhere. And, and that's exactly what we're doing, right? Our technology connects essential workers that want and need to work uh, with essential jobs that must be filled to keep our supply chain intact, no matter where those two entities being connected are, are located. So that's exactly how we're bridging that gap. That is really cool. And, and that is such a good distinction. It's not that there aren't people out there. It's that right now they're untapped. So what is your sense on whether the current warehouse automation systems can find a way to fill those labor gaps in the sector? Yeah, I mean, I think that if autonomous vehicles uh, could fill that gap or could have filled that gap, there, there wouldn't be a blue collar labor shortage. There would have never been one. It wouldn't exist today, et cetera. So, um, you know, if that was the case, it would just be all autonomous vehicles operating. And, and I guess no one would care about their inability to hire or retain humans to do this work because they would have an alternative uh, solve. But, you know, for example, with autonomous forklifts, I think about 1% of forklifts in the market today are, are autonomous, right? So someone's got to bridge that gap for the other 99%. Uh, and our customers, you know, they often come to us with, with basically scars on their back from trying to deploy uh, autonomy, whether that's autonomous forklifts or otherwise for years, only to have really learned the hard way that their warehouse environments uh, which have vehicles and humans moving about, obviously, are much too complex and dynamic for autonomy to function at the level required to actually replace the status quo today, which is a human. Uh, they like our technology because it's still a human operating the forklift, uh, that human's operating from thousands of miles away, but it's still a human brain, right, that can react in real time to any dynamic situation uh, that they're faced with. So we go into these sites um, and as long as, as the sites have connectivity, uh, we can be operating that same day, right? It's a, it's a solution that works now. We can fill that gap right now. And, and that's really what our customers want and need. And so this unique approach is expanding the labor force and using technology to do it in a way that makes it safer, more accessible, and frankly, more profitable for companies, as well as the individual labor contributors that they're working with. So that's really exciting to basically find a way that can enhance both sides of the spectrum. And Gad, to this point, 
There was a piece that you shared on LinkedIn recently that was about expanding the labor force that I want to share with everyone here. You say one of the reasons for the blue collar labor shortage is the share of people without a bachelor's degree who are not in the labor force due to disability is much larger today than 20 to 25 years ago. We're talking about a couple of million potential workers. Can you tell us a bit more about this and the potential impact if you were to bring these people back into the workforce and specifically into the logistics sector? Sure, yeah, it's, um, so it's easier because of uh, some legislation changes over the years, it is easier today to uh, become, uh, to get on disability than it used to be. Um, a lot of it is uh, also because of uh, um, people who are on disability for mental health reasons. Um, and uh, there is also, uh, one could argue, a, a, a real increase in the actual mental health conditions of, uh, of many people. So as a result, we are seeing uh, many more people today who are not in the labor force uh, because of disability. Um, I think that's one of the reasons for this uh, shortage. Uh, we're talking about uh, a million people here, and, and there is another important trend that that's the, the young men uh, problem that we have in the U.S., especially young men without a bachelor degree. Uh, there's been like a significant, uh, I would call it, delayed adulthood among this group. Uh, fewer of them are uh, getting married. Uh, more of them are living with their parents. Uh, fewer of them uh, uh, start a household and you know, when you don't uh, need to provide for a family or pay for food or a, or a mortgage or rent, then uh, you are um, less desperate to, to have a job. And, and among that group, uh, we are seeing lower labor force participation. So for several of those reasons, there are a couple of million people who could have been in the labor force, and, and it's especially men without a bachelor degree who are the kind of the main workforce in, in logistics and related industries. Elliot, we're talking about some really serious things here. You know, how can Phantom's technology help enable a wider set of people and all types of people to enter the logistics sector and find work that can be really fulfilling, that can help them provide and help them avoid some of these really negative externalities that come with being unrepresented in the workforce. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, Gad hit on a couple of different categories of people. First of all, um, you know, there's no level of educational attainment that you need to be a remote operator, right? Um, you know, you don't need a college degree to do this work. You don't really need any prior experience, right? Because this, there's very few people on earth who would have that experience. We basically just, um, you know, created this category just a few years ago. So we fully train all of our remote operators to, to do the job. And that opens up um, options for people who, who may otherwise not have, um, you know, a wide berth of options on their plate. In addition, we're also diversifying the workforce, right? So taking people who otherwise wouldn't have been able to 
um, you know, operate uh, machinery within a warehouse or in a distribution center yard and in giving them that ability. We have multiple uh, remote operators at our company today, uh, some who have uh, autism, uh, some who are physically disabled, etc. So these are folks who would not have had an opportunity otherwise to, um, you know, let's say operate a forklift inside a warehouse, uh, but they're doing it every day <clears throat> remotely at Phantom Auto. Um, you know, another thing that we've we've done, which I'm quite proud of, is we integrated with an adaptive controller. Um, so if you think about, for instance, operating a forklift, typically you would do that with a steering wheel and pedals. Uh, we now have an adaptive controller so that any person that just has the use of their arms, um, so even with no finger articulation, can use our solution to uh, remotely operate uh, safely and effectively. So it's opening up this sector to not just um, you know the people that have been there and done it before um, and maybe left you know during the pandemic for whatever reason, but it's also bringing new people into this sector who would have never had the ability otherwise. It's incredible to see what you're doing open up the sector for a wider range of people. This is something we saw during COVID as we saw uh, specifically mothers rejoining the workforce as more businesses opened up remote work. Now, this was white collar work in general versus what we're talking about, which is physical work, blue collar work. So I'm curious, Gad, given the surge in remote work on the white collar side, you know, when you hear about solutions like Phantom Auto and when you hear about the ability to work remotely in what was traditionally a physical job, what do you think of the trend of moving to remote operation and remote labor? Well, I, I think, uh, you know, before the pandemic, some people worked from home, but it wasn't like in most uh, employers, it wasn't a, a, a critical uh, feature of work. Uh, I think now it is. It's uh, in many cases as important as salary and many other uh, things. And, and for, you know, for some people, it's not important. They don't mind going to the office. But for many people, it's a, it's a, the critical factor. And I think the this shift uh, made some jobs more attractive and some jobs less attractive. The jobs that allow remote work became relatively more attractive and the jobs that don't became less attractive. And that includes essentially almost all blue collar workers, but even within like the more educated, I think it made like healthcare workers, uh, healthcare jobs less attractive, uh, teaching jobs less attractive. Uh, so I think uh, any, um, and especially for the kind of the workforce without a bachelor's degree, they don't have a lot of options to work from uh, home. And for those people who, who uh, care about it and it's important for them, having an option to work from home uh, is going to be extremely attractive. And I think uh, a lot of those blue-collar employers uh, would find it much easier to, to recruit. 
it's really exciting to think about what this is going to be able to do for the wider economy when you're connecting people with work that they actually want to do. And when you make it safer and more comfortable and you open up, you know, fulfilling work, it's less of the feeling of, oh, I've got to go and leave and do my job. And, you know, this sucks. It's more passioned and empowering to have a, a role where you can feel fulfilled, where you can feel excited, and you know kind of fits into your overall lifestyle. So it's really a modernization of kind of what work is. And we've seen it, you know, through COVID forced upon us on the white collar side. But now it's really exciting to hear that there's some options coming up and opportunities for employers to bring this more modern version of work, empowered work, um, to a blue collar, more physical, traditional role. So Elliot, I want to bring you in here to talk about this. You know, how can Phantom Solutions help companies offer upskilling options to basically modernize jobs for their employees? Yeah. So, I mean, what we're providing is human centric technology, right? It enables employees to work alongside technology, not be displaced by it. Right. And we're enabling these folks who are doing physical labor for the first time ever to work outside of that potentially dangerous warehouse environment. Uh, you know, white collar workers, again, they've had the privilege to work remotely as, as long as they've had uh, cell phones and computers and Zoom. We all experienced this, I'm sure, um, you know, during the pandemic, of course. But now workers in the logistics sector have that same privilege. But it's, it's, it's not just about not having to endure a, a commute, right? It's about enabling them to work in a safe and comfortable environment. So the stakes are higher. Um, so employers and employees alike have really embraced our technology. Employers are excited to upskill their employees and employees are are equally excited to be upskilled. Well, that's fantastic and it's exciting to see, you know, people getting into what they're doing and having that opportunity and knowing that it's something, yes, I want to I want to grab this while it's out there and be able to elevate kind of my overall lifestyle that I have through it. And Gad, I want to give you the final word here. What excites you about the labor market. You know, I know we've talked a lot about challenges and we're looking forward to ways to overcome them. I want to end on a positive note here. What are you seeing going forward that you think could be some really positive things for workers, for companies, and uh, maybe for, for our country overall? Well, one thing, kind of taking it to the really to the macro level, uh, I think uh, one a good trend, you know, the Tech is becoming a bigger part of the economy. It's been like this uh, for a while, but I think it's becoming an even bigger sector and a more crucial sector in the economy. And the U.S. is uh, the leader in that industry, uh, way ahead of uh, of uh, essentially all uh, other countries. Um, if you look at like the top fifty tech companies in the world, uh, 36 of them are uh, American companies. So I think uh, the world is moving to a, 
a sector that the U.S. have a comparative uh, has a comparative advantage in, and that will benefit uh, the country and its workforce uh, significantly. Well, that is a certainly inspirational note and really exciting. We can look forward to introducing new tech to solve some of these challenges and basically elevate where we're all at with our engagement to work and how we're working and bringing that into our lives. So, gentlemen, this has been a fantastic conversation. I know I have learned a ton. I want to give everyone the opportunity to find you out in the world. Gad, where should people go to look for more of your insights? Well, they can uh, follow me on LinkedIn. That's where I'm very active. Uh, so um, just type my name and you'll find me there. Uh, also, uh, we have um, the company that I work in, uh, the Burning Glass Institute, uh, has a website with all our research and data. So uh, I um, encourage you to go there too, the Burning, Gla Burning Glass Institute. Wonderful. And Elliot, where can people find out more about Phantom Auto? Yeah, so you can go to our website at phantom.auto. We're also uh, active on LinkedIn. So if you follow us there, you'll you'll get all of our latest and greatest company updates. Wonderful. Well, thank you both for sharing your insights here. It's been a great conversation. Everyone, we'll see you in the next one. Bye now. Thank you. Thank you.